good morning, everybody. Good morning. And uh, people ask, are you done with your sabbatical? Whatever that was, okay? I was gone for, uh, I was gone for eight months, and we, we, just, we made decisions to try to be here once a month, let people know that we were still here at City Harvest Church. But it's been actually eight months since I've been... Um, that I've been in the pulpit here to preach to you. The last sermon that I preached was the end of August of, of this last summer in 2022, and uh, it's just been, it's exciting. Uh, a journey that Sue and I have been on, it's been an exciting journey that the church has been on. I want to encourage everybody to come out to the, to the is it Vision Night? Is that what we're calling it? Pete? Family meeting. You've got to give me the right title. Pete loves a lot of titles, and I'm always trying to keep up with them. We're having a family meeting, and there's just a lot of great reports of things that are taking place here. I saw the financial report, and God is still Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Come on, we do the right thing, and God provides what we need. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. amen. And you're going to see that, I believe, tonight. And there, I think we're presenting an elder to become a part of the team tonight on that. And, and you're going to hear from, I think, different department heads on some of the things that are taking place but what he begins, he finishes. He started a work, he's going to finish it. Yeah. doesn't matter who's leading it. So people ask how Sue and I are doing. Uh, we have traveled a lot in the eight months. Not that that's what we want to do, just work our way into a frenzy and exhaustion by traveling all over the place. And people know that airports are not the most restful place in the world. <laughs> the most exciting part of our travels the last eight months is that uh, I was with Bill and, and Sue, we were on our way to, Bill Scheidler, we were on our way to Puerto Rico, and we had a long layover in, um, in Atlanta Airport. And uh, we were just having a great talk in TGIF, and you know, we were just having a great time, and we moosied on through to the next concourse to get on the plane, and, which is, a, we were like concourse C, and we were in concourse D at the restaurant. <laughs> Right when I was getting ready to board, I just felt naked. I just felt, you ever felt like there's something missing from what I'm supposed to be possessing? And I, I left my whole backpack, which had all my sermon notes, my whole iPad, my iCloud, my, 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 my Google Cloud. I mean, everything was in that, in that iPad and, uh, and everything else, and, and, and my toothbrush. I mean, that was in there. And I had to go get that. I didn't know where it was. And so we had about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to board. And I had, and this is why pastors go to gyms. <laughs> they do that so that they can run up staircases and down escalators, take trains, run around and, uh, and found it. It took me 10, 15 minutes to find it. Then I had about a sprint back, two concourses up, so many staircases. If you've been to Atlanta, there's a lot of stuff in the basement that takes you up, up the staircase, and cardio was really intact, and uh, got there right in time. Jesus is good. So, yes, yes, we have traveled a lot. I think in, uh, since I, we transitioned the church, uh, we've, two times we've been to Los Angeles on road trips to just be with our grandkids down there to build relationship with them, and we were, I was in, I was, not Sue, in Uganda for a week, and we've been to Virginia and Bend. I've been in Texas three times, uh, Arizona, Puerto Rico, Idaho, Ohio, Southern Oregon, Eastern Washington, all over the place. And while we're doing that, Sue has been subbing uh, because uh, we don't have any money anymore. No, no, season, no, no. <laughs> the church has taken great care of us. And, uh, and grandparenting a lot. Man, grandparenting. How many grandparents do we got? Hey, come on. It's not over when you send your last kid out of the house, is it? No, it's not. There's a whole new world called grandparenting. 
and uh, doing a lot of that. And then MFI were like a bunch of greedy, hungry, ravenous wolves. You know, as soon as I transition the church, <laughs> we have them. We can pour more work on him. And, uh, and they did. They gave me a raise, and now I'm part-time, and now they're calling me full-time. So uh, they keep saying, Bob's full-time. <laughs> Wait a minute, time out, time out. I'm part-time. But uh, the, the, more work's gone on there, and, uh, and I've been working very intensely on our nonprofit, His Church Ministries. And by the way, we'll be up and running next weekend with our Genesis course. It won't be complete, but we'll get the, the starting courses up there and a podcast, having coffee, coffee talks with Pastor Bob. And uh, if you want to just hear me on a podcast, that'll be all ready next weekend. You can go to hischurchministries.org on the website, and you can, you can listen to me blab at you on a video. Okay. Uh, now... Sue spoke uh, a few weeks ago at the, the ladies' impartation night, and I got to sit in the back. I thought she did a great job on prejudice, but I thought she, I thought she nailed it. All, all the ladies agreed? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, good. And uh, I just want to say thank you, too, and I know Sue wants to say thank you. The church took an offering uh, on that night of that transition to send us on a trip to to the Big Big Sur in that area, and we want to thank you for the $10 that came in for that trip. No, just teasing. <laughs> no, the church graciously blessed us with $5,000. Okay, I'm just going to let you know that, and, and uh, so that we can have a, we can have a trip uh, without any stress and just enjoy ourselves. We're going to do that in June. It's our anniversary, 45 years being married, 45 years, Okay. It's a great, by the way, all you older couples have been married for a while, it's a great platform to share the gospel when you tell people on an airplane, a bus, a train, or in the store how long you've been married, because it's an anomaly these days for people to keep covenant and stay together, and it's a great platform to share with them. Sue was subbing one time, and there was a kid who uh, <clears throat> was talking to her, and he found out that she had been married to one man for, at that time, like 43 years, and he used this phrase, he goes, how boring. It was, a, it was a junior hire. How boring. And, and Sue asked, well, how many times have your, has your mother been married? Seven. <laughs> a little sign of the times here, okay? We, we, we speak the gospel by our, our covenant commitments. I believe that strongly. So thank you for everything. Let's get to work here. I want to lastly thank Pastor Pete for the opportunity to be a part of the preaching team here at City Harvest Church. That is, if I don't drop the ball too bad today. And uh, no, just thanking him for the opportunity to do that. He's been very, very honoring of both Sue and I, he and Tamar both, and uh, we, we're very thankful for that. Today we're starting a series on the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, um, I want you to open up to John 14. And if you don't have your Bibles, smartphones, anything, I'd like you to just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible today. Because we have people who are going to give you the Bible. I'm going to, there we go. Keep your hand up. We're getting a Bible right into your hand today. No judgment. We just want everyone to be included. If you don't have a Bible, you have a smartphone, and you got you know, the Bible, you version on, the, on, your, on your Bible, I want you to open that up. Well, we want to get back to Bible reading. And so Pete is a real disciplinarian. He told me I can't flash my scriptures on the screen because he doesn't want you to be lazy he wants you to dig into the Bible. He wants you to learn how to open it up, read it, and go into it. Amen. So I'm in the NIV version. That's the new intelligent version. And uh, <laughs> Let's start with John chapter 14. I'm starting at verse 
at verse 12. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because as I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands, keeps, uh, keeps them, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Going on, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So the title of my word today here is, Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, let many of you know my journey growing up. My, my, my sister's here today. Carol's a part of our church and living in Vancouver. Can you tell Carol, welcome back to City Harvest? Amen. But uh, in our growing up years, even before my parents were divorced, we didn't really see my dad too much. There was a long, there were long periods of absence. And in one of those periods of absence, my mom, who grew up Catholic and married outside of the Catholic Church, decided that we were going to, um, my kids are going to become Catholic. And uh, so she marches us into church. My older sister is 16. I'm nine. And my little sister is uh, four years old. And uh, and we get pulled in there, and we all get baptized, and we became Catholics, okay? And uh, I, I got used to a custom, or I, I got introduced, I should say, to a custom, that when you go into the Catholic church, there's this little bowl thing in the doorway, and you come in, and there's probably some official Latin phrase for that, little sponge, it has holy water, and that means being blessed by a bishop or the pope himself or somebody, and you, you dipped your two fingers in it, and you know what it is, and you signed yourself in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and you cross yourself. I'm nine years old, and I'm doing this, and it began to create in me a whole lot of theological questions at the age of nine. And uh, <clears throat> first, when you want, just a little trivia on making the sign of the cross, if you kind of like tease Catholics, which, you know, it's all good for us to tease each other, like my father loves dominoes, your father loves dominoes, and uh, but, making, but making, the sign, making the sign of the cross goes all the way back to the third century. It was mentioned by Tertullian, one of the early church fathers of, of, of Christianity. And then another great church father called Basil the Great in the fourth century. He felt it went all the way back to apostolic times. Whether that's true or not, I do not know. By the eighth or ninth century in Europe, it was a law. But of course, eventually from the Reformation, the Swiss Calvinists, they canceled it out. We're not going to practice this anymore. But what, what they actually believe in this, whether you agree with them or not, is not the case. But I'm gonna, it's going to lead to something significant here for a nine-year-old theologian back in the day. <laughs> that it was a mini-creed. You're declaring the Trinity. 
when you're doing this. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're identifying that in baptism we died and that your life is marked because of the cross and you now belong to God. They actually believe very strongly that crossing yourself is a, as a, is a power of grace to resist the inclinations of the flesh. I, I didn't find that to be true growing up Catholic. But, uh, but as a nine-year-old, as I'm crossing myself with this mini creed, I'm, I'm having a debate, and I remember it vividly as a, as a nine-year-old. I could understand father sending son because I had a dad, and I was a son, so I could understand kind of I came from my dad to that human race or to life, and I could understand that concept. But man, I'm telling you, I got messed up over the Holy Spirit guy. I couldn't quite understand who is this Holy Spirit person. Well, let's talk about this. The Holy Spirit, let me give you a basic definition here. You can find many, but the Holy Spirit is one of three persons within one divine trinity. In other words, one God expressed in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, the trinity wasn't really defined for us in the New Testament. It wasn't, you know, Paul and Peter and John and James. They didn't just kind of, we're going to break this down, how one God could be one God but three people. We can't, well, Bob, there weren't three people. It was one God, but no, there's three people. I mean, we have, we see this at Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes baptized in the water. He, he's Jesus. He's physical Jesus. He's God on earth. And then when he comes out of the water, John the Baptist sees the Spirit descending on him. So we got Son, and we got Spirit, and we have a voice, an audible voice from the Father saying, this is my Son, and whom I'm well what? Please. Okay, so now you got guy talking from heaven, you got sun coming out of the water, and you got the spirit coming on him. Now, Jesus wasn't a ventriloquist. He wasn't coming out of the water. We see it working. They declare it, but they don't always break it down for us. Paul said this, great is the mystery of godliness. And so we can make all sorts of analogies, and man's tried to do that, but it's best for us to leave a little mystery on that and just accept what it is, and it works as we're working with the New Testament and our own relationship with God. The Trinity wasn't defined for us, but it was demonstrated throughout the Bible. The Spirit, Genesis 1, hovered over the water. God empowered time and time again. And what's, we use this word anointed, Old Testament saints, as they did incredible works and, and great acts of miracles and, and, and bringing Israel to repentance or leading Israel into combat or whatever Israel needed, God was there. We know Jesus at his baptism. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit in his ministry. You know, there's some apocryphal literature, like when Jesus was a little boy, he could turn little toys into real animals. It's, it's just a bunch of nonsense. You know, Jesus was only known as the carpenter's son up until the time he was 30. That's why he messed up everyone's head in Nazareth, because this guy that grew up amongst us, all of a sudden, he was something else. He was the manifestation, the glory of God. He was the son of God. He was the God man. He wasn't a normal man. And they were stunned by that whole thing. But Peter said this about Jesus, how God had anointed, this is Acts 10, 38, Jesus of Nazareth, he anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good 
and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. So that's how Peter describes Jesus. He had, God, the Father, had anointed Jesus, the Son, with the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and through that came miracles. The Trinity, once again, not all broken down so that we can have a headache at 3 a.m. trying to figure it all out, but it's a de declaration of three persons working in one substance. He was promised to God's people through the prophets that God would pour out his Spirit on his people. Now that they were not to do any, and, and Jesus said this, you're not to go anywhere to what I just commanded you to do unless you are clothed with this Holy Spirit, unless you're filled with this Holy Spirit, unless you're soaked with this Holy Spirit, immersed. So the Holy Spirit is God, come on, he is God in us, he is God on us, and he is God among us. Can I hear an amen on that? That's what we can agree today. Now, he is a person. He is not a ghost, he is not a force, and he's not even a feeling. Sometimes I wrestle, although I get it, because I've responded emotionally to this presence of God. I can feel you moving through me. I, 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 he's not a feeling. We respond with feelings. He is a person, and we got to get that out. He is a real person with a real personality, real existence. He's not, you know, we've watched too many Star Wars movies. Okay, he's a force. The force be with you. The force is strong in that one. We've got to change our vocabulary. The spirit is strong in that one. The anointing is strong in that one. But uh, I remember at our, at our wedding party, a dinner party for a rehearsal party for our wedding, my dad, who really wasn't much of a spiritual guy, he sat up, a little, little company of Italy, Italian place. It still has a place in Sue and I's, my heart to, today. He stands up, and my pastor at the time, Tom Hepworth was there in the dinner. He says, Tom, of course, my dad was drunk or a skunk. My dad, Tom, I want you to say something because the force or something brought these two together. No, no. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, brought two of us together. He is a person working. And as a person, he's communicating in my mind and your mind and he's changing my desires and your desires. He's moving my will and moving your will. And he's making, he's making me aware of God and his will. He's making you aware of God and his will. He's, he's guiding, he's comforting, he's correcting, he's empowering. And, uh, and he's doing it all to get me and get you to do what we're called to do. That's what he does. So let's get down to what Jesus had to say about this. And of course, you, all you got to do is keep reading John 14. We're going to go back to what we read today, and, 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 let's, and let's look at this and break this down. Now, what, in the context of John 14, really from John 13 all the way through John 17, Jesus is having his final instructions to his disciples. What you read in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those five chapters, is really Jesus' last discourse to his disciples. I mean, it is a download of test preparation before their, their rabbi is going to be arrested and rejected by Israel and suffer and be tortured and have a false trial and false accusation and the, the whippings and the death on the cross. I mean, he's going into a grueling, grueling period here. And he's giving them last instructions. And in this discourse, Philip, one of the 12, he, he asks Jesus a question. He said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father. And Jesus' response to that in verse 11 of John 14, 
He says, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So he said, listen, believe that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you don't believe that, believe at least the evidence of the supernatural power of the works that are flowing in me. He's just not talking about, you know, he showed compassion to somebody. Jesus did miracles in his compassion. He just didn't feed a hungry guy. He fed thousands of people with a handful of food. Okay, he did miracle works. Believe me for the works that you've witnessed all these years, all this time with me. And so at this point in, in, in his sharing, that's, that's what he's saying. The miracles that really that Jesus did were the witness of the Holy Spirit saying, listen to this guy. He's not normal. He's not just an everyday guy. That's what John 1, 1 is all about. He is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word, according to verse 14, chapter 1 of John, tabernacled. He dwelt amongst us, just like the glory of the cloud, the glory of the fire. He was with us. So what's John saying? This is no ordinary guy. And he goes on to say in verse 18, and we beheld his glory. We beheld the glory like the fire at night in the wilderness journey, what was called the Shekinah glory. We beheld his glory just like the sea, the Red Sea party when Moses stretched forth his staff. We have seen the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We've seen it. And of course now, this glory is telling us how we can now begin to experience this glory and why. So let's look, break down what he taught us about the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. For truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. First point. He is, will anoint you to do the things that Jesus did in his ministry. That's what's going to take place. In other words, he's saying, you will do the works that I've been doing, and they will even be greater works than these that you're going to do. Now, the reason is because he, he tags something onto this. He says, because I'm going to the Father. Now, when he says you and I are going to do greater works, it's not greater in um, how profound they are or how spectacular they are. You know, Jesus feeds 5,000, so you feed 20,000. Or, you know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, you raise, raise a whole cemetery a cemetery from the dead. That would be a horrible, horrible event. Okay, just try to do follow-up on that one. But you're going to do, because Jesus is in heaven, and through the Holy Spirit filling you and filling me, he's going to be able to move through a lot more hands, a lot more feet, a lot more human beings than he would be just by himself on planet Earth. You're going to do greater works because I'm going to the Father, and you're going to be doing those works through the power of his presence. Now, coming up this weekend, we have what we do in this church called prophetic commissioning. You're going to have Pastor Jeff Strickland from Living Hope here. You're going to have <clears throat> two women prophets who are wonderful women, pastor wives who are pastoring their church with their husband. One is Je Jennifer Neuschwander, who's been here once before. You may remember her back in the day, some of you older timers here. Jennifer is a wonderful young lady. 
and a great musician, great worship leader, <clears throat> has a strong prophetic gift. And then on top of that is Karen Wells, who pastors with Jeff, her husband, in Newburgh, and uh, she has given herself to the prophetic word. And uh, <clears throat> how many people know that the Holy Spirit has no gender bias? My Bible says the Spirit will fall upon your sons and fall on your daughters. Now, already, because of all the coffee I drank this morning, I need a little glass of water if I can get it. Maybe Pete's going to go get that right now. But here's the issue. <coughs> Excuse me on that cough. But this is not a Holy Ghost show coming up here. That's not what this is about. This is a, about a confirmation and a clarification of what God wants to do through you to minister to the lives of others. And in that, as he is revealing with clarification and confirmation what he wants to do through you, you just didn't get saved to get to heaven. You got saved to be used. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. You know, we like to call it, we want to get you basically wrecked for God. How many people here would like to get wrecked for God? Jerry, you're just always on the spot. Thank you so much. How are you? Are you doing good? That's good. Thumbs up. This is, about, this is about the mission God wants to do through you. Greater works than these shall you do because I'm going to the Father. Greater works than what I did because I'm going to the Father and I have a many-membered body to move through. And there's an impartation of gifts through the laying on of hands. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, says this, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Something is imparted when people are going to be laying their hands on you. So this isn't like a show like, ooh, get some revelation and read people's mail and share things that's humanly impossible. No, that, that's spectacular, and that brings an awe that Jesus is in this place. But we can get lost in that and lose the essence that we're about the will of God. That's why Paul said, desire, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially to prophecy. Prophesy. Why? Because prophecy reveals the heart of God and the will of God. I mean, healing doesn't. It just means that God loves you, and you, whack, and you got whacked by the power of God, and you're healed because God's love. That doesn't reveal his will. But prophecy will. And then you get to grab a hold of that, and you get to run after it. So that's what's taking place. And we do these works that Jesus gives us. We do it to fulfill the mission he has for the church. We need a gauge in mission. Jesus is really serious about reaching the world. Your neighbor across the street, okay, the people at work, the people in our city, this nation, and the nations of the earth. Okay, he is serious about this thing being fulfilled and the role that you play in that. And that mission, that's what this weekend is all about. I don't want us to come in looking for the show. I want us to come in hearing the will of God. <clears throat> Second thing Jesus taught us is this. Is it will, he will aid your prayer as you intercede for God's help to fulfill his mission. He has the famous verse in 13 and 14 here. And it says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, I want to say this because I, I have been consternated with this verse, or these two verses, maybe like a lot of you, because God hasn't answered all my prayers as I prayed in Jesus' name. 
and I've been frustrated. But the problem with my interpretation is I've interpreted it out of context. The context of this is you're asking everything in his name in the context of the mission that you have in verse 12. You've got to connect verse 12 to verse 13 and 14. It's as you go, you're on the front lines. Well, that front line is the guy working next to you at your job, in the cubicle next to you, or, you know, on the roof of the house you're roofing, or wherever you are, or if you're overseas, or you're in Detroit, Michigan, whatever you are, ministering to Muslims, here's the issue. And you, while you're engaged in mission, you call out to the Lord to help you in that mission, God's going to help you. You got to look at this thing as God answers prayer, Many times connected to his mission. He's talking about the high priest ministry of Jesus. And as we come to Jesus and we connect with him and our spirit to his spirit, he comes to give us grace to, to do what he's called us to do. What's another thing that Jesus taught us out of these verses? That is this about the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, will do for you in Jesus' physical absence what Jesus would do for you if he were physically present. Verse 16. Verse 16 says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I want you to concentrate. Most times you really don't kind of tag on uh, to a word like another when you're kind of preaching out of a text. But this word is significant. The word is alos or alos. And uh, it, it means of the same kind. So basically Jesus is saying this, He will come. I'm going to give you another helper. Another of the same kind is me. And he will help you just like I am present with you, helping you. No, someone might ask, what would church be like if Jesus were right here with us? My answer to that question is he is right here with us. It's a, it's a wrong question. It's a bad theological question. He is here with us. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper of the same kind as me. And he will be with you. And it goes on to break this down into detail in verse 17. Next thing he will say is the Holy Spirit will be Jesus in you. He goes on to say in verse 17 here, calls him the spirit of truth, and I'm going to come back to that. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know, we're having a great time with Jesus today, aren't we? There's some people outside of this building don't know anything that's going on, and they're clueless. I used to be one of those people. But you know him, he says to his disciples, for he lives with you. Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. He lives with you and will be in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I will be in you what I am now with you. So whether you got in or whether you got with, okay, you still got Jesus. So what would church be like? I think church will be great if we can just receive by faith that Jesus is with us. Jesus is here. Jesus is working through all of you. Sometimes we feel like we're living in an inferior age, and I think it cripples the church to think that way. That, man, it was glorious, and it kind of slid from there, and we just kind of hang on until Jesus comes. No, 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 no. I will be in you when I'm now with you, and I'm going to give you an advocate, a helper, 
who's going to be equal to me. So, man, is it powerful or is it powerful to have Jesus in your life? It's powerful. And then Jesus said this. He says, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you forever. He will dwell in you forever. It's interesting. He says in in, in, uh, verse 16, at the end of it, he says, I'm going to give you another advocate to help you, and he's going to be with you forever. (laughs) We're not alone slugging it out in the trenches until Jesus comes. Hurry up, Jesus. I am so tired of spiritual warfare. I'm so tired of these demons. I'm so tired of these carnal people coming up with new ideas all the time. And I'm so tired of pressure against me. I'm so tired of the news. I'm so tired of being person. Hurry up. Okay. No, 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 no. I will, he will be with you forever. We got God's presence. We got God's power. We got God's guidance. We got God's comfort and everything God is, is the I am to us. We got it all until either we go to meet him or he comes to get us forever. He doesn't drop, he doesn't drop us. He says in verse eight, he, uh, 18, I love this part of it. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. We get this orphan spirit where we just think that God's just left us. Where'd you go? I'm right here in you. I'm right here among you. But we got to tap into that thing. You know, sometimes people ask, well, how do you minister a lot and do this? You must always feel like anointed. No, I don't. (laughs) This morning, I was chasing my dog. I I thought we'd do a little catch and retrieve and come back and only to have the rebel just just, just defy me. (laughs) I had to have Mark pray for me. Please, I'm full of hatred towards my old English sheepdog. But he's in me, and he's among us. Come on. I'm going to be with you for I'm not, you're not going to be orphans. And then he, Jesus called him the spirit of truth. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit will speak to us and lead us to truth, the spirit of truth. That means the spirit focuses on truth. That means he's the communicator of truth. That means he opens our eyes to truth. That means he points us to the truth of Scripture, and he only honors truth. Truth. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer. When they call the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth, he's not talking about fault-finding, a censorious approach that, that I'm just going to cancel out this person, attack this person online, because maybe they just don't believe the same as I do, and I think they're you know, they're, they're, come, they, they're teaching false doctrine, and we're on witch hunts, and we're trying to figure out who's a Christian and who, who, who's not. How many people would agree with me that um, Christians see things differently sometimes? They look at the same scripture, believe in the same God, same inspiration, but we land a little bit differently on some stuff. I think we can all agree that that takes place. That doesn't make that person or make me a heretic. I just dealt with a situation, uh, I don't, won't mention who on this, on past, counseling a pastor who was a worship leader has just got into a rigidity about certain doctrine and disqualifying everybody under the sun, and even all the music they use, you know, don't use these guys, don't use these guys, don't use these guys, and this guy holds a position on Genesis that the majority of the body of Christ would crucify him on, but yet he wants the pastor to like, cancel everybody else out. 
We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who's twisting scripture to give license to sin. Someone who's twisting scripture to justify greed or lust or power or it's where someone's attacking the essentials of our faith that are clear in Scripture. That's what we're talking about. The Moravian brethren probably had the best statement, who were the great missionaries of the 17th century. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. And in all things, charity. I think the body of Christ could use a little Moravian baptism sometimes. Well, Bob, what about people being used who are in sin? You know, what about these guys? You know, what about that? Well, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are given by grace. You you understand that. They're grace gifts. The same word for charismatic comes from the same Greek word charis, which is the word grace. So first, you're all disqualified for being used by God. Let's just settle that right now. And what you've received you were unworthy of. So if you're unworthy of it, if you're acting unworthy, it's not quite going to get lifted off of you. In other words, the gifts of calling to God without repentance. He's called you to do something. He's graced you to do something. Now, in that, that doesn't mean judgment will not take place. My proof text on that is Samson. I mean, Samson was doing all sorts of powerful acts and doing stupid things he wasn't supposed to do. Hanging around vineyards, going after Philistine women. I mean, he just did everything God told him not to do. And he, but he kept being used by God. But eventually, it ended. Just because judgment doesn't come like that doesn't mean judgment will not come. And judgment, judgment took place. You know the story of it. When he shaved his head, the, 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 the hair of, of the Nazarite was a hair of absolute surrender and submission to God. And when he did that act, it was his final act, I will not surrender to you, Lord. The Lord says, I will lift the anointing off of you. Early Pentecostals believed that the anointing of the presence of God was lifted in disobedience. You can look at the writings of Frank Bartleman, the journalist who basically kept a biographical record of the Azusa revival. He said, whenever we started gossiping, started criticizing, started judging, started attacking. He says that the presence of God lifted off the meetings. The miracles didn't happen. When we came into unity, all of a sudden the miracles came back. He says, like a dove, doves are scared very easily. And that's how he likened it. Catherine Coleman, if you know her story, you can, you can read about it in the book, uh, Catherine Coleman, Daughter of Destiny, a powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God. Frank Damasio was 17 years old. She laid hands on him. He says he's never sensed or experienced an impartation that took place that when she laid her hands on him. But she had a, she got married to somebody she knew that was against the will of God. There was by scripture, not just subjectively, that she was out of the will of God and marrying this man and she left the marriage and never married again. But when she did her crusades, and Jamie Buckingham writes this as he witnessed her praying in the backstage. She would pray this prayer every time. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Take not your anointing from me. Take not your anointing from me. Well, we need to have a heart to live in alignment with Jesus. 
Now, just because, you know, maybe you're struggling with things, that doesn't mean God's not going to use you. But there gets to a place where we want to take off our Nazarite mantle and say, I just done submitting to you, God. Done with this dealing with me. Well, I don't get a chance to, I don't have the opportunity or the freedom to say that. Neither do you. Holy Spirit will bring to you also a revelation of Jesus. In verse 20, he says these words. He says, on that day, what day is he talking about? He's most likely talking about the resurrection here. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I mean, there is a re realization of who Jesus is. And then verse 21, it says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them. Now here it is. And show myself to them. Now this show myself is the Greek word infinizo, which means I'm going to make myself visible to them. Now how does God make himself visible to you and I? Well, he can do it through a lot of ways, through Scripture. Before I gave my life to Jesus, I devoured the Gospels. And as I was devouring them, Jesus was making himself visible to me. He was telling me, Bob, this is who I am. And I was falling in love with the Jesus of the Gospels. He was manifesting himself. He was making himself visible to me. It could be through circumstantial confirmations, closed doors, shut doors, open doors. He just does so much. I am near you. It could be through miraculous acts. It, it could be by a word of knowledge. It could be words jumping out from the scripture. It could be direct answers to prayer or direct answers to a question. I was sharing with my son-in-law Solomon's parents last night about how really the vineyard movement got birthed. John Wimber was a Calvary Chapel pastor, taught at Fuller Seminary, and then what took place, he had a, a young man who was part of the hippie movement who came into who, who, the, Jesus hippie, the Jesus movement, I should say, came into the church, and he just called out for the Spirit to fall on the service on a Sunday evening, and people were slain in the Spirit, and one guy, according to the testimony, fell over on a microphone, just rattling off in tongues in the microphone, loudspeaker, and people were offended and shutting their Bibles and walking out, and John Wimber was angry, but he recognized there's something here, and he was very, very confused. So he goes home, and he's up all night, all night crying out to God, 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 was that you or was that man? What was that? Was that you? And about five, six o'clock in the morning, he gets a phone call from a man, from a friend of his from the East Coast. He said, John, I've been praying for you, and, and I have a strange word. I thought God dropped in my heart, but I don't understand it. He said, well, John says, well, share it with me. Well, here it is. That was me. I don't know how much more visible Jesus has to be. I'll never forget, Sue and I, we, you know, I, we've always been faithful tithers, and I'm not trying to make a plug for tithing here. I just it, it was a miracle story of God's provision. And one Saturday night, I'm writing out my check. Those are the days he had checks. He dropped them in the offering. You might remember those days. And, uh, and at the time, my, my tithe at that time, I remember it directly, it was $120. And I noticed I only had $40 left in my checking account. We had spent it all. I was getting paid about three days. And so, well, I at least got to give God this one-third of this thing, the last 40. He didn't tell Sue we didn't have any money for three days. But, Lord, I, I spent your tithe. 
and I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to give you this 40, Lord, and, and Lord, I, I'll, I'm going to pay it back. Went to church, dropped my offering in, felt real peaceful about it. And the next day on a Monday, the church treasurer called me up. Her name was Marcia Duffel, and she said, Bob, uh, yesterday an anonymous person, and I told no one, dropped a check for you in the offering for $80. What do you want to do with it? Now, if you know your math, 40 plus 80. <laughs> I realize I got to kind of tell these stories and break it down these days. No calculators here. It's 120. So what do you want? Well, that's, that's my other 80 for my tithe. Mark that to my tithe. Really what Jesus did for me, he did the, the coin and the fish for me. It's exactly what he did. He provided a coin and a fish, miraculously. That's Jesus making himself visible to me. How's Jesus made himself visible to you because he loves you just as much as he loves me. And if you can go back in your, the, chronology, the chronology of your life and your journey, you're going to find, you're going to find these manifestations of Jesus making himself visible to you. And then lastly, in verse 26, bring this to a close. He says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit will teach us what Jesus taught. Come on, the Spirit opens our eyes. Paul said the carnal man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. They're discerned by people who have communion with the Spirit. In other words, he opens our eyes to see the text the way it should be said. Now, that doesn't throw away with this fancy word called hermeneutics. Basically, hermeneutics will get weirded out by that as a basic, basic ethics to make sure that you do not uh, read into things that shouldn't be read in because of your own agenda. Yeah, it's just protecting us. The issue is when we read the Bible, we should always look, what is the author trying to say? What was his heart in this? Gordon Fee says this, find the intent of the author and you'll find the intent of the Holy Spirit. When you find the intent of the Holy Spirit, you will release the Spirit in the text, whether that's to you or to someone you're sharing with. Come on, he's going to teach us what Jesus taught us. He's going to bring it to our remembrance. He's going to open our eyes. So starting next weekend and this week as we seek the Lord, I think we're going to witness one of the great ways by which the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and that's through the gift of prophecy. Its purpose is to help us understand what God's heart is for our church, Pastor Pete and Tamar and the team, what he wants to finish in this journey. He started with Sue and I. He's continuing on with Pete and Tamar. And when they go up into glory with Sue and I, you will die someday, Pete. <laughs> He'll carry on to the next thing until Jesus comes. He wants to know what our heart is, what his heart is for you. We'll see what God does and what he says so that we might get established in the will of God because the Holy Spirit is not leaving us alone. He's with us forever. And he is to us now what Jesus was to his disciples physically. And it's not inferior. It's the real thing. Everyone say the real thing. The real thing. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing this song.